morning. Uh, so we're kicking off a series on the Holy Spirit. We're going to do five weeks on the Holy Spirit. And, and it was a little bit of a challenge uh, getting started. We're actually preaching on a topic that a lot of, of teachers and theologians intentionally avoid. Like they, they just don't go after it. And, and I say that because when I started doing kind of my research for this, I just thought, well, I'll just go to my systematic theologies, pull them off the shelf, I'll get a whole chapter, and then I can just buzz through those and and I'm getting like one page, right? Like it's a 300 page volume and they're like one page in the Holy Spirit. Um, and I finally get back to like the mid forties and there's Lewis Perry Schaefer who I'll quote at least twice because he had, he did 300 pages. I was like, thank you, Lewis Perry Schaefer. Like back in the forties, he, he actually wrote. But since then there've been a couple like smaller things but people generally avoid it. Um, and, and I think that's a problem. And I say that because the Holy Spirit is, is so important to every piece of our Christian lives. And by not thinking about them or talking about it, we just, we just miss it. Um, the reality is that if you've got a relationship with God, that only comes by the Holy Spirit. He's the one that when you pray actually brings that to the Father. He's the one that communicates that to the Father. And, and the idea that you ought to pray has to come from him. Like there's so many normal pieces of our Christian life that have to come from the Holy Spirit, but we don't talk about it and we don't, we don't think about it. And I think there's two reasons for that. The first one is we're afraid. There is a, a chunk of Christianity that talks about the Holy Spirit a whole bunch and some of us think that they're weird. You're allowed to laugh there. Like, you know who I'm talking about, right? Like, you're like, okay, this guy talks about the Holy Spirit all the time, and I do not want to be one of them, right? Like, it's weird, it's awkward, I'm not doing that. So I'm going to just pretend the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. I'm going to not be a part of that group by ignoring the existence of the Holy Spirit. Or I think, and this is probably maybe a little bit more common, we also will do a thing where we just don't think about him. Like, it's automatic, and so we don't think about the fact that he's there, that he's interceding for us, that we're having these conversations, that he's mediated, and we just, we just don't think about him. And so we, we kind of treat him like something else. Like, we treat him like he's, he's a power and not a person. We just don't, we don't interact with him because we don't think about him. The problem with that, though, is <laughs> he's the source for everything that we do in our Christian lives. Like, the Holy Spirit's the one that indwells you. He's the one that walks with you and talks with you, and he's the one that inspires you, and he's the one, when you're praying, he's the one that answers, like, speaks to you, right? He's the one that says that you ought to pray. There's all these things that we're just like, this is the normal Christian life, or this is the best version of the Christian life that you can experience, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that's sort of actually doing it, and, and we just ignore it. So what we're going to do, we're going to do five weeks on the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be a little different. I'm starting off this week with who is the Holy Spirit, right? Next week, Mike Durning is going to talk about what does the Holy Spirit do for us? So like, what does he actually accomplish that, that helps me out, right? And then what does the Holy Spirit do in us? That's going to be me in week three. Like, what does the Holy Spirit do that, that's inside of me, that's internal to me? And then ultimately, it's what does the Holy Spirit do through us? So what do I do in the power of the Holy Spirit? How can I impact the world? And so that's kind of the progression we're going to go through. But then the fifth week, we're going to just answer questions. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, there's going to be a text and an email that we're going to put up every single week, right? So it's going to be respond at lbchapel.org, and then there's a text number on there. That's only a text number. Don't try and call it. You won't get anything. And, and what it is is if you've got a question about the Holy Spirit and we're not answering it or you don't think we're going to answer it, go ahead and send it in, and we'll try and deal with it in week five. 
So we've got a couple things that we know we're not dealing with, and we're like, all right, we're probably gonna have to talk about those in week five because there, there are things that people are curious about. But we don't have, like, we, we need questions. So feel free to ask whatever questions you've got about the Holy Spirit, either the email or the text, and we'll try and deal with those week five. What we're gonna do is we're gonna do a round table. We'll have a couple people from the teaching team up here, and we'll just try and answer those questions. You can't ask a question that day, though. So if you've got a question, you have to do it beforehand. We're not doing it on the fly. All right, so we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I think the best way to get started with the Holy Spirit is to talk about the metaphors that, that Scripture gives us about the Holy Spirit. So there's a bunch of them, but we're going to talk about just four this morning. These are the major ones, right? And, and the first one is breath or wind. So when we read the word Holy Spirit... We don't necessarily think about that in other languages, right? But when the scripture was initially went, written, that the same word for spirit and soul are, are the same word as you would use for breath or wind. And so when the people that are writing scripture are, are writing down the name of the Holy Spirit, what we would say the Holy Spirit, it could also be understood as the holy wind or the holy breath. Right? And so what we do, you're like, okay, well, so why don't we translate it that way? Because contextually it doesn't make sense. Like, as you read the passages, you're like, that's not somebody's breath, that's not the wind, that's somebody doing something. For example, the first time that we see the Holy Spirit in Scripture is in Genesis 1, verse 2, right? So Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the second verse is, and the earth, the earth was without form of void and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. And so you could say the wind of God was hovering over the face of the water, but then you're like, wait, wind doesn't hover. Wind moves. That's, if, when it stops hovering, when it starts to hover, it's not wind anymore, it's just air. It's not wind. And breath is the same thing. Like, if you're breathing, then it, that's movement, right? So the, the breath is not going to hover. That's not a thing. And so, and it's actually like a conscious, that hovering isn't just like, it's kind of hovering there. It's also like there's intentionality to it. It's trying to be there. And so you're like, if there's intentionality to wind and there's thought process behind the wind, it stops being the wind. And then as we go through scripture, we realize that this is just a way of expressing the spirit of God. And so the spirit of God is in the New Testament called the Holy Spirit. And so breath and wind are, are sort of an ongoing metaphor that they use to, to explain the Holy Spirit. And it makes sense because a, a wind is, is mysterious. We don't really understand the wind. We don't necessarily know what it's doing or where it's coming from, but we do see what it accomplishes which is very similar to the Holy Spirit. We don't necessarily know always what he's trying to accomplish or what's going on with that. And then we're like, oh, wait, that had to be the Holy Spirit. There was no way that could be anything else. And so, so it's a good metaphor for understanding the Holy Spirit. And that's the one that comes up every time because every time you see the word Holy Spirit, Spirit or Spirit of God, that's the word breath or wind. And so that's the most common metaphor that we see for it in scripture. There's another one though, and we use this one quite a bit, and that one's fire. And, and the verses that, that this is sort of most explicit in is, is Acts chapter 2. Uh, it, it says this, the first four verses of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So this is all the disciples. They're all together. Jesus has gone back up into heaven, and they're sitting there together, and they're waiting for whatever Jesus promised, right? And suddenly, verse 2, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Oh, wind, see? It's already there. Verse 3, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
So sound of the mighty rushy wind, that's the, a symbol of the spirit. And then suddenly these tongues of fire appear on people's heads. You're like, that's a little bit weird. But if you were in that culture, if you were raised in that culture, then you're thinking back, fire represents God. Right? So when the people of Israel, back you know, thousands and thousands of years before this, their whole nation left Israel, they were led by this pillar of fire. And they followed the pillar of fire, and when it stopped, they would set up camp. And the pillar of fire would sit in the middle of the camp. And there was times when judgment would come out of the pillar of fire when people were offend, offended God, right? And so there, the fire in the middle of the camp means God is with us. And God is on our side. God is among us. He lives with us because we see this pillar of fire. And so we get to Acts, and those pillars of fire are not in the middle of the city anymore. They're on everybody's head. So everybody that's there in that room, all the disciples of Jesus suddenly have the presence of God, not up in the temple, not in the middle of the city, but right here. And that's, again, it's the presence of God in their lives. And so for them, that was just like this amazing metaphor of like, wow, God is coming and he's with us. He's, he's among us. He's with me. He's personally interacting with me. Another metaphor we see in scripture, uh, John chapter 7. It says this, on the last day of the feast, so Jesus is at the, this feast and it's this big party that, that the whole nation is celebrating. The last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, and as yet the spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so we see this idea of living water as another metaphor for the Holy Spirit. You have to have water to stay alive. Like there's no way around that. You've got to drink water to stay alive. If you stop drinking water, you've got about three days before you're dead. It's just the way that, that human bodies work. And so in the same way that we have to have water to keep our physical bodies alive, we have to have the Holy Spirit in order to keep our spiritual lives going. It's living water. And then as the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, we become a source of spiritual life for other people. Right, that sort of is supposed to flow out of us into the rest of the world. And we're going to deal with this metaphor more next week in, in a couple of other times, but, but really it's, it's this idea that you can't have life spiritually without the Holy Spirit. And, and as you have the Holy Spirit, then that's the thing that keeps you alive, that motivates you. There's also the idea that water cleanses, which is also sort of wrapped in there. But again, we're just trying to deal with the, holy, the, the metaphors quickly. The last one that we're going to touch on today is a dove. And this one is the one that we use the most often because for like visual representations because it's the most tangible and it's kind of unique, right? Like fire, wind, water, those are just sort of common elements. You get dove and you're like, nobody else uses a dove for anything. Uh, Luke chapter three, verses 21 and 22 says this. Now all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized, so this is at the start of Jesus' ministry, right? So it's the start of his ministry. He's baptized by, by John the Baptist uh, verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So we've got Jesus being baptized and the Holy Spirit comes down in the form like a dove. And so that, that drives sort of one of the metaphors for the Holy Spirit. We see the dove and we think Holy Spirit, that's a part of, of the whole thing. Doves represent purity or, or innocence um, and, and when Jesus receives the Holy Spirit in this way, suddenly he's, he's different. 
Uh, it's not that he wasn't the son of God before that, but right after this, it says really specifically, if you, you scroll down after the, all the verses where they're talking about the son of the son of the son of, in, in Luke chapter four, verse one, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And so what happens then is Jesus goes into the wilderness and he, he actually fights Satan Spiritually speaking, metaphorically speaking, he has this thing and he, he wins against Satan because of the power of the Holy Spirit that's upon him. And so there's sort of this thing that's shifted there where Jesus, he was, he was the son of God before, but then he receives power from the Holy Spirit in a unique and special way. So those are the metaphors. And so those are kind of the starting points that we think about when, when we talk about the Holy Spirit. And now what I'm going to do is, is work through a couple of other verses. Most of these verses like I'm using all of them like two, three times. So <laughs> if you've already gone through all of those, one, the, the ones that are up there right now, like you'll, we'll come back to them. Like these are all really rich verses about the Holy Spirit. And so we'll, we'll talk about them a couple of times. But the, the thing is, is when we think about those metaphors, it's really easy for us to think in abstracts. Like, okay, well, the Holy Spirit's fire. Fire doesn't think, fire doesn't have personality, right? We think about wind. Wind is just a thing that's out there. It blows, or we think about water, right? Like there's nothing, there's nothing really. And, and a dove, you're like, it's just an animal. It's just a bird. It, it doesn't think the same way. But, but the difference is that the Holy Spirit isn't just the metaphors. There's something more there. He's actually a person. And not a person like a human being, but he has personhood. He has volition. He has intentionality all to himself. We tend to think about him like a force, and we pray that way, and we sing that way sometimes. But, but in reality, he's not just this abstract force that's out there. He's, he's one of the persons of the Godhead. Turn with me to John chapter 14. Again, this is one of the ones that we're going to dip into a couple times here. So Jesus is, is talking to his disciples. This is, this is toward the end of his ministry. Like this is just a couple weeks before he ends up dying. So he's talking to his disciples. They've heard him. They've had conversations with him. And he says this, John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Wow, that sounds really familiar if you were here for the last three months. Um, <laughs> so you're like, wait, what? Oh yeah, that was first John, same guy, different point. John uh, 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And so we see here, it, Jesus is praying. He prays to the Father, right? Like we're comfortable with the father, but then he says, I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send someone else that is going to help, help you out. That's not a force if it's a helper, right? Like Jesus is referring to someone that's going to help out. If you're going to help someone out, you can't do that if it's just like an abstract force. There's intentionality, there's thought process, there's, this is a direction that we're going to do to accomplish this thing. It's not just a force that's out there. Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you another person that's like me and he's going to be with you always. He's going to be there continually, and, and he's going to have this relationship with you the same way that you have it with me. You're going to be able to have that with him. And this isn't the only place either. If, if we go to Matthew 28, this is Jesus after he dies, after he rose from the dead. He's about to go up into heaven. He says, therefore, this is his last commands to his, his disciples. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, right? God the Father, the Son himself, and the abstract force. Nope. It's not. It's the Holy Spirit. 
So there's, he's referring to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit on equal terms. There, there's three of them, and we're, we're going to talk about all three of them as if they are equal, implying they are equal. Right? And so there's something about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that Jesus is saying these are three that are, that are the same. What does this mean for us? The real thing is that if we just think of the Holy Spirit as an abstract force, we don't develop a relationship with him as a person. We don't develop a relationship with him in, in a way that's actually interactive. We just kind of like pray to God, like, give me the force. I need the power. And, and that's an inadequate way of thinking about the Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all equal parts of the Trinity. They're all equal parts of the Godhead. And the Holy Spirit, that means, is a person. That means that he has the same power as God the Father. He has the same volition. So my question for you is this. Do I know the Holy Spirit? Do I understand him as a person? Or do I think of him as, as, a, as a source of power or, or as a force or an abstract? Do I think of the Holy Spirit as a person? Do I try to build a relationship with him? And, and in all honesty, this is hard for me. Because when I pray, I start off... Heavenly Father. That's, that's my, my automatic response, right? And I don't think about the fact that it's the Holy Spirit that's speaking to me, that's reminding me, that's interpreting my prayer. I don't think about any of that. And when I need power, I, I pray before I preach every time, like, all right, Lord, you need to give me the power to actually do this. I don't pray, Lord, please send me your Holy Spirit necessarily. I don't necessarily think that way. And, and I realize as we're going through this series, I need to change the way that I think about the Holy Spirit because I don't build the relationship with him the way that I ought to. And the thing that the Holy Spirit is really, really all about. So we're going to talk about not just the Holy Spirit, but we're going to talk about him in relationship to sort of understand not just him as a person, as an individual, but also his relationships with, with everything else. Uh, and it's easier to, to get that kind of square triangled up if you do it in the Trinity. Uh, so to understand this, we're going to talk about the Trinity and the Holy Spirit's place in it. So we already talked about the baptism in Luke chapter three, right? Like the Father is there, the Son is there, the Holy Spirit is there. So all three members of the Trinity are there and they're doing something. They're speaking, they're, they're acting, they're doing something. So there is, the Trinity's there. In John 14, again, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he's standing there in front of them and he says, I'm gonna pray to the Father, one member of the Trinity, to send you the Holy Spirit, another member of the Trinity. So we get this idea of Trinity in a bunch of different places. Matthew 28 was another one, right? Like there was the three, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When Jesus talks about God sort of in the fullness, he refers to all three. And there's a lot of other places. So it's not that the Holy Spirit's not in scripture. It's not that the Trinity's not in scripture. It's there if you look at it and, and you try and understand it. So there's all these passages, and Christians universally affirm the Trinity. That's one of the things that, that was very early on, that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are co-equal. And, and there's been a lot of thought process about what the Trinity is and how that works. And I'm going to challenge you. If this doesn't make sense logically, that's okay. <laughs> and I say that because people have wrestled with this for literally 2,000 years, and we've got some wrong answers that we know are wrong, and we've got some things that we think are in bounds, and that's kind of where it ends up. And if that bothers you, if you're like, no, I need to understand this, I want you to think about how small the God would have to be that you could fully understand. 
Like if God is God, if he's the one that created the universe and created me and he's infinite, then obviously there's going to be parts of an infinite being that me, little old me, isn't going to understand. Like he's going to blow my mind at some level. And so the Trinity is one of those spots where God just is beyond our comprehension. We don't get this. And if you're going to try and hammer this out logically, you're going to be disappointed. Everyone sort of universally affirms that if you really want to understand the Trinity, you're out of luck. You can understand parts of it or chunks of it through faith, but it's, it's what we call like a mystery, right? Like it's not fully comprehensible. But the classic understanding of the Trinity is that God is one God expressed in three persons. So each person of the Trinity is distinct and yet equally God. So one and three simultaneously, the same substance but separate identities, perfect unity and perfect diversity existing at the same time. There's a diagram, and this is the most helpful thing that I could come up with. I didn't come up with it, let's be honest. This is like 1,800 years old. Every single piece of this is important, right? We've got the Father, we've got the Son, we've got the Holy Spirit, we've got is not, like the Holy Spirit is not the Son. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Father is not the Son. And, but they all are God, right? So there's God, and God is the Father, and God is the Son, or the Son is God, the Son is the Father, and the Holy Spirit is God. Okay. it's easier to maybe explain some of the bad understandings. <laughs> like, like I said, there's boundaries and we're within the boundaries, okay? So let's explain what some of those boundaries are. If you get rid of the outside lines on this, if you get rid of the is-nots, then this becomes a problem. Uh, it becomes the idea that there's one God and that the Trinity is him like changing into different versions of himself in order to relate to us. That doesn't work. Because then you've got Jesus on the cross dying and there's no God in heaven and he's praying to an abstract version of himself. There's just, it's, it's problematic in a lot of different ways. It's, it's wrong scripturally, it doesn't work practically, right? It's three distinct persons that are somehow co-equal. Or it can be the idea that, that they're all gods in their own way. Like it's three different gods and this devolves into like tritheism, right? Like where there's three gods that we worship instead of one. That also doesn't work because in the Old Testament, over and over and over again, and Jesus affirms too, like there's only one God. There's only one God. And so somehow there is only one God and yet there are three different persons of him. If you get rid of like the sort of middle is, the, the father is God, if, if those things happen, then what happens is the Father is God and he like created the Son and he created the Holy Spirit. They're not actually God in, in a way that's equal with him. But they are. They're fully God. Like we know that Jesus is fully God. That's in Hebrews. That's in John. That, that pops up over and over again. Or, or there's also this idea that somehow the three of them combined make God. Like it's three different things or three different persons and you only really get God if you combine them all together. Again, that's wrong. That's, they're each God separately and yet they're still God together. So those are all bad ways to understand the Trinity. And, and I realize the fact that I'm going through and telling you the bad ways and it's because, again, the, the best understanding is it's not any of those it's somehow God is three and God is one simultaneously. We've got three distinct persons in one being. So the three distinct persons is sometimes the way that we think about them. They operate in this way, right? So the Father. We think of the Father and we think Jesus praying to the Father, right? Jesus comes and he says, our Father in heaven. That's the start of, of the prayer that Jesus taught us. 
And so we see his role most often as the one that commands, that rules and reigns, that he's the one with authority, that he sits on the throne. That's just the role that he's in. And then Jesus, the son. We, we say Jesus is the son. The son existed before Jesus did, but Jesus is the human that... Okay, that was almost heresy. Not going there. Let me try that again. <laughs> The Son came to earth and became Jesus. So Jesus is the Son of God. There was never a point where Jesus was not the Son of God, but there was a point before Jesus was born that the Son of God was eternally preexistent. Okay, that was, that was orthodox, just so you guys know that. Um, he's the one that, that came to earth that accomplished our salvation, right? Like he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and, and he submits to the Father. That's a part of what he does. He submits to the Father. And then there's the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about him hardly at all. Uh, he doesn't really talk about himself either, though. So, you know, whatever. It's, it's kind of the thing. We just, everybody ignores him. And, and he's okay with that, apparently. I'm not, that's not true. Um, <laughs> the thing is, is he's the one that we actually interact with. He's the one that moves. He's the one that speaks. He's the one that we have the relationship. So Jesus says, I'm going to send you someone, and that person's going to live inside you. Like, you're going to have this helper that's always with you. That's the Holy Spirit. He's the one that's active in the world, that we have the relationship, that we talk to, that we hear from. Like, he's, he's the one that's out there. So go back to Luke 3, if you want to, and we'll, I'll, you'll see it, right? Like, so we go to the baptism of Jesus, and Jesus, physically, Jesus on earth, he's the son, he came in the flesh, he's there, he's obedient to the Father. And he walks out into the water, and what happens? The Holy Spirit comes upon him in a special and unique way. So we see God the Son acting, the Holy Spirit is interacting with the human being, Jesus, and they've got this relationship. And then what do we see from the Father? The Father from the throne in heaven. He doesn't show up, he's just out there and he speaks. He said, this is my beloved Son. And so we understand those roles sort of popping up in that, that story where, where all three of them are there, they're all active, right? Jesus the Son, he's obedient to the Father, he's following what the Father calls him to do. The Spirit descending in physical form, he's... he's God, he's empowering Jesus in a unique way to do what Jesus needs to do. And then the Father speaks from heaven. He affirms the Son with imperial authority. He's the one that's in charge. This is what I want. This is what I'm telling you. And so we, we define the people, the persons of the Trinity by mostly their role. That's the best way that we really understand them. What that means for us is that everything that we affirm is true of God, the Trinity, is true of the Holy Spirit. So when we say God is holy, well, the Holy Spirit's name is holy. He's holy too, right? That's a part of who he is. When we say God is love or God is gracious or God is merciful, those are all true of the Holy Spirit. When we say that God is all powerful, the Holy Spirit is all powerful in the same way that we would think of the Father being all powerful. When we say God is worthy of worship, the Holy Spirit is also worthy of worship. He's God. But the twist is that his relationship with the other members of the Trinity is that he's submissive. And so he comes from the Father. It always says that the Spirit is sent by the Father, or the Father sends the Spirit. And, and classically, it's understood that, that the Holy Spirit comes from the will, like the, the Father sends the Spirit to go do what he needs to do. And so it, it's an emerging from, and that's the way that it's classically understood. Lewis Berry Schaefer says this, the human notion that the greater must be served by the lesser is wholly foreign to the divine interrelationships. 
The Son is no less equal to the Father, though he seeks the glory of the Father, and the Spirit is no less equal with the Father than the Son, though he seeks the glory of the Son. And so the Holy Spirit is equal in power, in authority with the Father, but chooses to submit to the Father in everything that he does. He's not inferior. He's not lesser. He's not like God part B or God part C. He's fully God, and yet he's always obedient. He's always submissive. He doesn't do anything without the Father telling him to. And his relationship with the son is a little bit confusing because he does both. Like we go back to, to Luke 4, 1 and, and the, it says Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and he was led by the spirit into the wilderness. And so the son as a human being sitting on the face of the earth is, is obedient to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, goes to the desert. He's, Jesus says, okay, I'm going to the desert. Why? Because the spirit told me to. He's submitting himself to the, to the, to the Holy Spirit. And you see that all through the Gospels. Jesus is like, the Spirit's here. I'm, I'm going to follow the Spirit. This is what the Spirit's led me to do. I have to go here because the Spirit's making me. Like, Jesus has always submitted to the Spirit. And yet, when we get to John 16, John 16, starting in verse 13, it says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit will glorify the Son. But the Son was submitted to the Spirit for all that time on earth. That doesn't make any sense to us because we don't understand that for the Godhead, submission is not a mark of, of lessness. It's not a sign of inferiority. It's the Son submitted to the Spirit while he was on earth, and then once he's glorified, once he's back in heaven, then the Spirit submits to him and, and does what he does and glorifies him. So the Spirit took what Jesus did, what, Jesus, what he told Jesus to do on earth, and now he glorifies Jesus by spreading that word across the world. The Holy Spirit doesn't demand power because he's equal. He doesn't expect everyone to pay attention to him. He points all of his glory back to the Son and ultimately to the Father. That's the only thing that he does. And for us, that is a huge lesson that we need to learn. Because a lot of times we think that Submission is a mark of weakness or a sign of inferiority. It's a sign of being less. It's a sign of being not as good. And so we choose to not submit because we want to be the best or we want to be good. We want to be better. And it's especially hard for us to submit to someone that we used to hand orders to. What are ways that I might be self-seeking or arrogant with my ability, my authority, or my position? Do you see how that conflicts with what the Holy Spirit teaches us? He is God. He's every bit as much in control and as much divine as the heavenly father and yet everything that he does is submitted to the father and the son and he does it for the glory of the son he doesn't do it for himself and that's supposed to be our example that we're we're so committed to the glory of the father and, and the glory of the son and we're so submitted to what they cost you we don't worry about what other people think we don't worry about being in charge you have authority what's the point of that authority to give glory to jesus That's how we're supposed to work. We're supposed to model our service on the Holy Spirit, and we struggle with that. 
So those are the relationships that that the Holy Spirit has sort of within the Trinity, with God the Father, with God the Son, and then ultimately he has a relationship with us. Now this is going to be the next three weeks, so I'm not going to go into a ton on this, but I I want to give you a little bit of background on this so that we understand sort of the basis for for what's going on here. Um, So what Jesus experienced at his baptism was not something that was sort of a first-time viewing. Like, that was something that had some precedent in the Old Testament. If you look through the Old Testament, especially the book of Judges, it's there a lot, what you see is that the Holy Spirit comes on people in special and unique ways to empower them for specific tasks. That's an ongoing thing. If if you look in Judges 3.10, there's this judge, he's not super famous, his name is Othniel, but it says, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him and he judged Israel. So we've got evidence that he was around for a long time before that, but at this point in his life, the Spirit comes upon him, he judges Israel. Right in Judges chapter 8, the story of Gideon, you might remember that. He's the one that had the, the really small army that didn't fight at all but still beat this other huge army, right? And, and it's, what happens is he goes and he, he obeys God and tears down this idol and then everybody's mad at him and it says the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. So after he was obedient, then suddenly he, he had the spirit in a unique way and he was able to act in ways that were not normal for him and, and lead people in ways that he wasn't prepared to do that previously because the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so we see that happening, but we also see a couple of instances where the Holy Spirit's removed. And so the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament seems to be coming upon people very specifically for a purpose. Like you need to do this and I'm going to come and I'm going to give you the power to do that for as long as you're there and as long as you're obedient and then we'll see. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit's gone. So it was always for a specific reason, for a specific purpose. But now... If we go back to John 14, it's, it's a little bit different. John 14 and verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. So we don't get the Holy Spirit. It's like after Jesus came and he died and he ascended into heaven, once that happened, the Holy Spirit coming isn't temporary. It's not a thing so you can do this job or be obedient in this one way. It's you have the Holy Spirit. You just have him. If you've come to a relationship with Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. He's, he's a part of, of, of all of that, right? We saw that in Acts. Remember the tongues of fire came down? Everybody got a tongue of fire. And it wasn't that it went away after six weeks. It was that you now permanently have the Holy Spirit. And that, that was what happened in, in that room. And so what happens now is as we have the Holy Spirit, we, we're obedient to him. We follow him. If, again, in John 16, it says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Not speaking on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are come. He'll glorify me. And so when we see the Holy Spirit now, what he's doing is he's guiding, he's directing, he's leading. He's, he's pointing us back to Jesus, obviously. We talked about that. But he's also guiding us in the way that we ought to go. He teaches us the truth. We understand scripture by the, by the Holy Spirit. He illuminates us. Again, we're going to talk about all of this for the next three weeks, so I'm not going to dive into this super deeply. But ultimately what it is is that the Holy Spirit is here as, as a part of our Christian lives to help us be the Christians that God has called us to be, to be obedient, and ultimately to glorify the Son. And I asked earlier, do I know the Holy Spirit, right? That was, that was the application question that we had earlier. And, and that's answered, at least initially, by whether or not you have a relationship with God at all. 
right? If you're a part of the family of God, then you have received the Holy Spirit. That's a permanent part of that. But if you're not a part of the family of God, you don't have that. That's not a part of, of, of what you have or, or who you are. And we looked at the water. Jesus said, whoever believes in me as the scripture will sum out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's Jesus promising the Holy Spirit to people that will come to follow him. He's saying, if you will follow me, if you will be obedient to me, then you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will have God as a part of your life in an ongoing way. And so this morning, do you have the Holy Spirit is, starts with, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Are you a part of the family of God? And I can receive the Holy Spirit right now by just asking for forgiveness for my sins, for coming to Jesus in faith and admitting I'm a sinner. I can't build this relationship on my own. I need you, Jesus. I need your sacrifice for sin in order to be united with God. And once that happens, he sends the Holy Spirit. I'm a part of his family. I'm adopted. I'm sealed. I'm indwelt. All these things that the Holy Spirit does that start with salvation. But if I've never accepted Jesus as my Savior, I, I don't have any of that. Right? And so this morning, I would invite you, if you've never done that, if you've never received the Holy Spirit in that way, just this is the time. Just come to Jesus in faith and, and ask him for forgiveness of sins and, and to have that relationship with him. That's so important. But if you have done that, sometimes we get tangled up in, in our own lives and we forget about the fact that we have God living inside of us. And so sometimes our, our Christian experience is, is dry and, and stale, and it doesn't feel like we have living waters welling up inside of us. If that's the thing that you're struggling with, first of all, this series is going to be helpful. But also, Lewis Berry Schaefer says this, the answer to our problems is never a system or a solution. It's always increasing submission to the Holy Spirit. More obedience is the answer, nothing else. And so as we think about where we're at spiritually, if we're struggling with spiritual vitality, the solution is not get a better Bible reading plan, you know, figure out what your structure needs to be, figure out what you need to do or what you need to accomplish in order to like rekindle the fire of your relationship with God. It needs to be, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? That's always gotta be the starting point because structures and systems they're human creations. They're imperfect. They're not going to work. What we need is the Holy Spirit cleansing us, washing us, burning fire within us. That's what we need in order to have that, that ongoing, fresh, and, and unique relationship with Jesus. One last reminder, if you do have questions, and again, I know that we skimmed the surface and most of you guys are like, wow, that was a ton of information. I get that. If you need to re-listen to it, it's on YouTube. It's on the website. You can listen to it again. Also, we're going to be going in deeper. If you're still confused, if you're still struggling with maybe the idea in general or a specific piece of it, email me, text us. We will get that in and we will answer those questions hopefully at, at week five. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you have given us the Holy Spirit, that we have your spirit indwelling us, living within us, and we have the same power that resurrected Jesus, the same person that did that work, working in our hearts and lives. We have that relationship because you've given it. You've, you've provided that for us. I pray that we wouldn't be struggling with 
just the the day-to-day parts of our Christian life, but that we would realize that we need to be more submitted to the Spirit, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to rule in our hearts, to, to tell us what to do, to guide us, to direct us, that we would become Christians that glorify you because that's what the Holy Spirit does and, and he's living inside of us and we're submitted to him. I pray that you would empower us, that you would give us the strength through your Holy Spirit to, to live the way that you've called us to. We pray this in your name.